Do we? Do we really need a funny intro for this? Yes, Katie, there has to be levity with the depression, otherwise it's just depression. Welcome to the Four Corners Crimecast. My name is Jake. My name is Katie. And I'm your host, Rory. And this week we are continuing, this week we are continuing our series on Nathaniel Bar-Jonah. This is Nathaniel Bar-Jonah Part 3, if you haven't listened to Part 1. Or part two, go Good back. for you. Don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> Just <laughs> skip this one. Rory. We're doing something fun next week. I don't even want you to listen to this. Crooked cops are fun. Crooked cops, fast women, loose cars, Hollywood, <laughs> Hollywood. Um, but back to this piece of shit. Where did I do my research? That's the one. Three books took up most of my time and thought. Uh, one of them is the first one called Eat the Evidence. The second one is called A Parasite in the Mind. And the third book is called There is No Body. I think they should have combined all three into one big book with one big title. Eat the Evidence, Parasite of the Mind, There is No Body. Yes, they should have done that. Yeah, it's a good. it flows well. It flows well when they're all together like that. Well, the first book has an incredibly long name that is uh, something I don't want to go over right now because I can't remember it. Must have done a lot of reading. Why don't you get us back to... Why don't you start us off, Roar? When we left off last week, Bar-Jonah had just confessed to his new roommate, Sherry, about murdering Zach Ramsey. Zach Ramsey was the neighbor kid, right? Yeah, he was the neighborhood kid that had gone missing... Bar-Jonah told the story as if he were telling a story about a policeman and a young boy, and he basically told it from first-person perspective, meaning that he was the policeman and the boy was Zach Ramsey. Sherry didn't immediately move on from Bar-Jonah's. In fact, ended up staying with him until about mid-October, when a blowout between Sherry, Pam, and Bar-Jonah led to Sherry getting a handwritten eviction notice. From Bar-Jonah? From Bar-Jonah, yes. Is that even legal? What a petty asshole. I know. And their argument was about witchcraft. <laughs> His fiance Pam, was uh, like basically a Santeria priestess. Okay. I remember that. Uh, yeah. And Sherry was considered herself a witchy witch, like a, an like actual a pagan? witch. I, I don't know if she was a pagan, but she did tarot and stuff like that. Like and a witchy woman? Yeah, she was a witchy woman. And she offered to read... Barjona and Pam's tarot for them to find out how in love they were or stuff like that. <laughs> Barjona freaked out, so they had a big screaming match. And Sherry said, "Okay, I'm going to sleep." Fell asleep on the couch. The next morning, she woke up to Barjona standing over her with an eviction notice. Well, uh, I bet you she didn't see that coming. Sherry had figured as much and made up her mind to head down the road. Before she left, though, Sherry stopped at the local bar and told the police everything that she knew. She actually ran into a cop that would later actually get on the Barjona case in a different way because he was investigating Zach Ramsey. He was also kind of a lazy cop. But anyway, uh, that's why he was on the Barjona case. He's like, I really like this guy. Lazy, fat piece of shit. No, he kind of fell into it because it kind of crossed over to the Zach Ramsey case. But anyway, she told the police officer basically everything. But unfortunately, at this time, the police were mainly focused on the mother of Zach as the primary suspect and saw no purpose in following up with Sherry's claims. On Halloween night, a few short weeks after Sherry left, Pam told Bar-Jonah that she had had enough 
and was moving on as well. Barjona responded with true non-caring indifference and went about his business as usual. Nathaniel Barjona met his next roommate slash lover at Hardy's. Isn't this where he met Pam too? Yeah, he met Pam there. She worked there. As his assistant to yeah. the fry cook? She was the assistant for fry cook. And here, this was just a customer that stopped by every day, ordered the same thing, and had a reputation about town, if you know what I mean. <laughs> for Nobody can For see everyone you. at home, Rory just, like, wiggled his eyebrows at us. So she, she was a prostitute? It's a he. He. Oh, he was a prostitute. Yeah, Barry was a young homeless man that Bar Jonah had had his eyes on for a few weeks. Called him his famous star. He knew the kid's order, watched him eat, and just needed to pick his moment to get the young man to come home with him. One night, shortly after Pam and Sherry had both moved out, Bar Jonah approached Barry as he was sitting down for a late lunch. Barry listened silently as Bar Jonah suggested he pick him up from work and come back to his place that night. Barry agreed, as even sex with Bar Jonah was preferable to being cold in a homeless shelter. Barry and Jonah moved in together, and shortly after, Barry got a job at Hardee's. And here's the like thing, is that Bar Jonah was sick of being called in all the time, so he wrote a note that said that Barry and I are unavailable, we are having our own time on the weekend. So he was kind of living like this. He's kind of living this weird homosexual love fantasy of his, where... Same thing he does with children. He kind of does to this consent, consenting adult. He, Would you call him consenting? Yeah, Barry was consenting. I mean, he but, was doing it for a place to stay, basically. But mm. And I mean, things really were looking up for Barry. He got a job at Hardee's. Yeah, but Barjona basically, like, forced used his... Him? Yeah, used him and forced his dick in his mouth on the first night and stuff like that, but... He definitely abused this kid, or this, yeah, this homeless guy. Basically kind of did abuse him, but in a different way. But Lori Bigleggins, her two children, Roland and Stormy, and her husband, Gerald, moved into the apartment above Barjona on Christmas Day, 1998. The Bigleggins moved in on Christmas? Yes, they did. So is their name, is her, like, one of her old, is her maiden name, like, Big, and her married name is Leggins? No, they are Native American. So I don't think Big Leggings is uh, too weird of a name. It just means that you're really powerful with the way you run, probably. Sure. I don't want to speculate. That's just her name. I'm not going to fault her for it. What I am going to fault her for is being a terrible mother, but we'll get into that. Let's hear it. Barjona held the door as Lori was carrying boxes in. He told her he would help her move in when he got back from his mom's Christmas dinner. Stormy, Lori's youngest son came running around the corner and smacked into Barjona. Barjona excitedly scurried upstairs to get a toy for the young boy, and Lori shouted that she had another one, too. Barjona got the two boys a couple of toys from his apartment and went on his way, planting the seed that he was a good guy who just loved kids. Maybe it's the opposite, though. This man just has children's toys upstairs. Yeah, ooh, she said that when he opened the door to his apartment, she found out where the smell was coming from in her apartment though that smelled like what she claimed as uh rotting meat or she said she grew up around a lot of hunters and knew the sound the smell of dead flesh being cut up and that was one of the other things was that his freezer i guess had all this meat in it and it stank 
Like it, it bowled people over when it was opened. And it's the meat. We can assume that it is. It came from Zach. Yeah, I'm guessing more than one child, and we'll get into that later. It takes a few kids to fill a freezer. Gerald and Lori were never really around. Gerald was at work all day and too exhausted at night to look after two young boys. Lori was a short, fat alcoholic with a gambling addiction. She would be out at all hours of night and day gambling and drinking. This was an almost perfect environment for a predator like Bart Jonah. He ingratiated himself to Lori. He would give her money, make food for her and her boys, and was always available to babysit the boys when she would go out for the night. Stormy and Roland started spending most of the day over at Bar Jonah's apartment. The three would all sit together on Bar Jonah's couch and watch his favorite movie, Alive, which is kind of creepy because that's a movie about cannibalism. And they watched it over and over? Or yeah, they watched it multiple times. It was his favorite movie. How old were the boys at this point? Uh, I believe it's 13 and 7. Okay. They're young, though. Like, they're kind of slower boys, too. They're all in remedial classes and stuff like that. The boys had never gotten as much fatherly attention from their own father and started to look to Barjona as a father figure. Roland, the older of the two, would come to Barjona with life questions and for advice almost daily. Barry was still living at the upstairs apartment with Barjona and did not think it was normal for a grown man to spend so much time with children. Well, someone should tell Barry to look in the mirror. He would keep quiet for the most part about how much chaos the two boys would cause in the house. Well, one of the things was is that the way Barry saw it was that Barjona was always around these kids just in his tidy whities That oh. was the thing that, like, made him question stuff <laughs> the most. It was like, this guy's really weird. Like, these are children. Why are he in, why is he in his whitey tidies? And he just always said, boys will be boys, men will be men. It's just what men do. <laughs> so. Didn't he always make hot dogs wasn't that like the only thing he made was hot dogs lori told them not to eat anything unless they saw it come from a store package at bar jonah's house because bar jonah would bring them food all the time and it always tasted off like he would free feed them human well he said he would feed be feeding them deer chili or oh so it's human or deer uh, burgers, and like, these are deer sausages. steaks, deer sausages, yeah, uh, deer eyeballs, deer caviar. <laughs> like, yes, so that's why people are. Some people are just like, uh, that's weird because all these people did eat these things, and ugh. They're like, there's no deer around here, Bar Jonah, and no one ever saw him hunting. That was the other weird thing. Is that you really think he could? No. <laughs> Do you think he could actually go out there and shoot a gun and 400 go pound water climbing up into a blind? Yeah. <laughs> wait for he doesn't a even deer. have to. So he leaves the house. He like gets in his car to go out and go hunting, and the deer are already gone. They yeah. just know. They just they can smell his grease on him. He runs into one on the road though. And he's like, score! Oh man, I don't want to feed this to anybody. The boy's cousin Stanley came down to stay with Lori and her family after the school year up on the reservation had ended. He had had more apprehension about joining the other boys in Bar Jonah's apartment, but was soon won over after the other two boys wouldn't stop pestering him about how much fun they had and what good food they got to eat. So these little kids liked being cannibals. It was just hot dogs. Yeah, he would. Most of the time, he fed them hot dogs and oh, right. uh, chips and stuff. That makes my hot dog joke from episode one pretty good, actually. Bar Jonah would never be dressed when the boys came over. 
His common garb of choice was his underwear only. It wasn't long after Stanley started spending time at the upstairs apartment that the boys witnessed the violent side of Bar Jonah. He playfully put Stanley in a headlock and started to give him a noogie. Roland started to laugh and told Barjona to keep doing it. He complied and savagely began to rub his knuckles across Stanley's head until the boy was crying and squirming against the headlock. Stanley accidentally kicked Barjona in the face when he released him from the headlock. Barjona was furious, grabbed the little boy by his throat, and began to throttle him. Roland jumps from the chair across the room to rescue his cousin as Stanley's face is starting to turn blue. Roland, managed to pry Bar- Roland manages to pry Barjona's hands off of Stanley's neck, but Barjona shoves both of the boys across the couch and storms off into his room. Roland helps Stanley out of the apartment and takes him back downstairs. When Gerald sees this, he runs up the stairs and yells for Barjona at the door, but Barjona obviously heard it but didn't answer. Lori seemed to think that there would need to be a good reason for him to start choking her nephew, and Stanley must have done something very wrong. Something wrong enough to deserve being choked to death? Apparently. What a great mother. She said she would talk to Barjona herself and let him know not to choke the boys, or at least to come to her first. (laughs) Yeah, come to me first and make sure that it's okay you strangle my child to death first. Yeah, he's been getting on my nerves today. If you could just take him to the brink of death, That'd be awesome. A few months after the boys had become a regular part of his life, Barjona had hung a sheet in between the living room and dining room and told all the kids and his roommate to stay out. The youngest, Stormy, seemed to think this was fun and started to pull the curtain down. Barjona grabbed the boy and threw him against the edge of the couch. Roland began to walk towards his brother and Barjona stopped him with just a look. Bar Jonah scooped the crying Stormy into his arms and told him that he needed to stay away from the curtain. He then ordered Roland to take his brother home. Roland complied, but after a few hours, got up the courage and walked back to Bar Jonah's apartment. He walked in and found Bar Jonah sitting on the couch smoking a cigarette. He told Bar Jonah he wasn't being as nice as he used to be, and that he just wanted to spend time with him like he had before. Bar Jonah got up and started to tickle and started tickle wrestling with the young boy and suggested that they go wrestle in his bed and take a nap. Roland ran into the room, excited to have their relationship mended. Barjona continued to curry favor with Lori, playing the concerned father figure while casting the seed of doubt in Lori's head by telling her that the boys had begun telling lies. Small lies that he couldn't remember off the top of his head, but was worried that there might be something happening at home that might lead to this. Like most high-level predators, Barjona knew how to get people on his side. Barjona suggested that maybe Roland should move in with him, and when Lori said maybe she would think about it, Barjona pestered her for weeks until finally on March 1st, she made up her mind to have Roland move in with Barjona. See, that should just be warning flags, red lights, sirens, the whole nine yards. He's pestering you to have your teenage kid move in with him? What the fuck? When someone says that someone lied to them and then they can't remember the lie, that's usually like a pretty good indicator that nobody told a lie except for the person. Well, yeah, here's the thing is that uh, also Flory was concerned because I think it was Stormy started talking about his butt and wiener a lot at school now, something he hadn't done before. So I think Barjona was just 
familiarizing him with terms and things and just like oh boys can talk about this because that's boy stuff you know hmm. so there there was to be concerned but I feel like this is more Barjona trying to deflect anything the boys may later say onto them as just being little liars oh well they've been starting this lying shit for months now How can yeah you I told what you that saying? why would you believe this like type of thing Fuck is what this I'm guessing barf yeah. Jonah motherfucker the second night Roland was staying with Bar Jonah was a standout story in Roland's mind. He remembered the times that he had witnessed Bar Jonah lose his temper and could attribute them to certain events or instances that would have set him off. But this time was different. Bar Jonah arrived home later than usual, and Roland heard him bypass his own door and head upstairs to Lori's. When Bar Jonah finally arrived back at his own place, he had Stanley in tow and announced that Stanley was going to be spending the night. Disheartened that he had to share this special night with his cousin, Roland asked where he would sleep. There was no room for him. Bar Jonah said Stanley would be sleeping in bed with him. Roland began to pout, and Bar Jonah's solution to this was to do martial training with a pair of handcuffs he had lying around. He told Roland to get up against the wall and put his hands on his head. Bar Jonah grabbed him by the hair and pushed his head into the drywall, showing Stanley the proper way to cuff a suspect. He forced Roland's hand behind his back, twisted his arm to its breaking point, and when Roland began to squirm and cry, Bar Jonah told Stanley to come put his hand on Roland's back so he could see how to control a suspect. Stanley pushed his bald fist into Roland's spine and held it there as Bar Jonah kicked his ankle out so all of his weight was balanced on his face against the wall. Stanley cuffs him and holds him there as Roland screams to be let out. Bar Jonah told him he would only let him out if he stopped crying. Roland got control of himself, stopped crying, and Bar Jonah twisted his wrist so hard in the cuffs that it began to bleed. Stanley laughed the whole time, and when he was released, Roland grabbed Stanley and threw him up against the wall, demanding the handcuffs from Bar Jonah. Bar Jonah told Ro Roland to stop and go sit down. Roland went to the couch and silently sobbed as Bar Jonah took Stanley back into his bedroom to give him a massage where Roland had hurt him. Bar Jonah continued with the cycle of abuse against the boys, pitting them against one another telling Lori they were all little liars, gaslighting the impressionable boys into thinking that they deserved it when they made him lose his temper. Roland had been there for a few days when Lori showed up complaining about Bar Jonah giving out her number for messages and that her answering machine was full of his messages. She stormed off and left Roland to tell Bar Jonah. Bar Jonah was livid and sent Roland to get his messages, knowing that he couldn't read or write and Lori had already deleted them. So when Roland arrived back at Bar Jonah's, he lost his shit, grabbed the boy by his throat, and began to throttle him. Bar Jonah left the house, and Roland went to find his mother, but she had already left for the casino. Roland spent the night in his mother's apartment, thinking he had done wrong and needed to apologize. The next morning, Bar Jonah was excited to see him, swooped him up in a big hug, and asked him if he was hungry. He cooked him some homemade sausages, eggs, and toast. So, Lori, like I said, Lori warned the boys not to eat any anything that wasn't prepackaged from the store when they were at Barjona's. Because when they first moved in, Barjona would cook for them a lot. And he would cook a lot of different flavored meats and stuff like that. That was just awful. They, she used to say that uh, he was basically a cook with no taste because everything he made was just not good. It actually led to her boys being sick one night after eating his special deer burgers. 
they were all sick and threw up. Now, we can't 100% confirm that Barjona ate his victims, but later evidence actually kind of goes through and says, yeah, that's what this guy did. And talking to Doc and things like that sort of kind of stick a, stick a pin in that one, that that's more than likely what happened to the missing boys. So he was feeding them to everyone and probably eating them himself. Yes, sir. In the form of delicious deer burgers. Mm-hmm. And not so delicious deer burgers. And sausages. And sausages. And steaks. Roland naturally became sick upon eating the sausage, but that didn't stop him from being excited to be spending the day with Barjona. They watched the movie alive again and cuddled on the couch. Barjona asked Roland if he wanted to join him on his errands, and of course Roland wanted to go. The first errand was begging for money from his mom and his brother Bob. The second was to go to the drugstore and pick up some disposable cameras. The second to the last stop was outside Lincoln Elementary for just after lunch recess. And I'm assuming the disposable cameras were to take pictures of kids? Yep, Bar Jonah filled five disposable cameras with pictures of little kids near the fence of the school. What a sick fuck. And their final stop was to the post office so Bar Jonah could pick up his next surprise. They arrived back at the apartment just as Stormy was getting off the bus. Barjona snatched him up and carried him up to his apartment, giggling. They ate hot dogs, and then it was time to unwrap the present Barjona had just gotten. They opened the box, and Barjona pulled out his new stun gun. He pressed the button and showed the boys how it worked, and Roland was kind of excited to play with it and asked Barjona if he could use it. Barjona said of course he would be testing it, and made him pull up his shirt and lie on the couch. Barjona electrocuted the boy on his couch for almost 30 seconds. Stormy screamed and tried to run out but could not reach the newly installed deadbolt lock that was a foot and a half higher than his hand. He crouched on the ground and watched as his brother twitched and pissed himself. Barjona stood over the kid and silently watched as the boy began to regain the movement of his limbs. He told him to go wash himself up and to help get his brother. The two boys were about to leave the apartment when Barjona blocked the door and told them that their training, need, their training needed to remain a secret or he would get in trouble. Because he was a child abuser. Yeah. <laughs> and anybody who heard that he had just shocked a kid for 30 seconds with a stun gun, yeah, is going to know he's a child abuser. The kid's description of how it felt is absolutely kind of heartbreaking. I feel like the only one that wouldn't know that their children were being abused would be Lori. Well, she would just put it out of her mind because Barjona was such a saint in her brain. She would say, don't choke them and don't electrocute them on the couch for 30 seconds unless I say so first. Yeah, ask me Come check with me, and again, I'll tell you if they're bothering me today. Barjona suffered from a heart attack not long after tasering the boy. Too bad that one and the one two months later didn't end up actually killing him. It would have saved the boys a lot of trauma. Yeah, the heart attacks never get never really take out the, the ones they should. On July 5th, Barjona invited both of the boys, Stanley and Roland, back to his apartment. They were very excited and ran up the stairs three at a time. Barjona's roommate Barry was on the couch when he and the boys arrived. The curtain that had been hanging in the dining room was removed, and Barjona ordered Stanley onto his couch next to Barry and told Roland to meet him in his room. 
They walked back to his dirty room and Bar Jonah slammed and locked the door. Roland was giggling as he turned around by Bar Jonah's bed. When he saw him, all joy left Roland. Bar Jonah demanded him to remove his pants. When he refused, Bar Jonah pulled his pants off and began stroking his penis, which was involuntarily getting erect. Bar Jonah then pulled his own pants down and began to stroke himself, but couldn't get erect. He then forced the boy's hand under his fat flap and forced the boy to masturbate him. Concerned that there was no noise coming from the back bedroom, Stanley began to pound on the door. Bar Jonah was furious but stopped holding up his fat belly and Roland let go and stumbled backwards. Probably got knocked in the face backwards by the fat belly. No, he literally pushed him. Barjona pulled up his sweats and ripped the door open. Roland ran out of the room crying. He ran out the front door as Stanley was shouting for him not to leave, but Roland was too out of it to understand what he was saying. Barjona grabbed Stanley and dragged him to the dining room to show him what he'd been hiding behind the sheet. Barjona screamed for his roommate to head to his room, which his roommate did. He took a rope from the kitchen drawer and showed Stanley the project that he had been working on. It was a pulley attached to the ceiling. Barjona put one end of the rope through the pulley and the other around the boy's neck. He took a moment to get the rope at the correct height to keep Stanley conscious and barely balanced on his feet. He tied it off to the oven and then... uh. He pulled Stanley's pants down and began to masturbate the dangling boy who was knew he couldn't fight back because when he kicked his feet out, he started choking, and his only hope was if Barjona lifted him back onto the chair he had him standing on. Ah, uh, dangling boy is that yeah. what we want to? I don't know. Uh, he he was telling him the whole time that if he didn't really like it, he would not be getting hard. And uh, finally, uh, Barjona's roommate Barry yelled from his bedroom that he was coming out because he was late for work. Barjona quickly cleaned up the scene and warned Stanley not to say anything to anyone as he ushered the boy out of his apartment. Otherwise, he would tell them that uh, he actually liked it because he got erect. So basically, Barry... Barry knew something's going on because he's yelling from the other room. He doesn't want to see it. He doesn't want to know it. Yeah, he, uh, ignorance is bliss in Barry's opinion. Uh, he's complicit. Yeah, I mean, he does move out literally three days after this. But it's one of those things where he was sitting on the couch with the little kid and both of them became concerned. And uh, he sent Stanley back there to check. That's the right thing to do as a, the adult yep. in this situation, for sure. Yep. Send that and kid back there to get choked. complied when uh, Bart, he knew something was going to happen as Bar Jonah's dragging his kid to the kitchen. Fuck Bar Jonah. This guy's a real fucking piece of shit. Yeah. And fuck Barry, too. Yeah, fuck Barry. He's such a horrible fuck. And Lori. Yeah, every, everyone involved in this situation. I, I feel terrible for these boys. Their lives were basically destroyed by this because... Not only were they physically abused, they were mentally abused, they were uh, also sexually abused. I mean, it's all... And most of it was under this weird guise of normality where he would normalize being in his underwear around them or them cuddling with him in his bed when he was in his underwear or him giving them massages and just all sorts of really detailed, awful shit that they talk about in the book. It was weeks before the boys would be alone with Barjona again. Roland had become withdrawn, but that day when he was invited to the movies with Barjona, Stormy, and Stanley, 
he begrudgingly win. He would be happy that he did ultimately. Because after the movie, Bart Jonah is uh, shoving the kids around and he shoves Stanley into one of uh, some biker gang's girlfriend and she like trips and spills a little bit of popcorn. And Bart Jonah just laughs and keeps walking on. And this big, muscle bound, tattooed monster dude runs out into the parking lot and just beats the ever loving piss out of Bart Jonah for being a disrespectful little pussy. Nice. Yeah, he like grabs it, like he like knocks him out basically, but not fully. He like knocks it on the ground so he's all stupid. And then he like picks his head up and apologizes to his wife with his mouth, <laughs> like working him like a fucking puppet. <laughs> working his mouth with his hand. And, like, uh, ruh, 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 ruh. Yeah, and I mean, Roland fucking loved it. So did actually, I think Stanley kind of enjoyed it too. They both just stared at it and smiled and were just I'm like, I'm surprised Fuck they didn't like dude. join in and kick him while he was on the ground i think roland might have because he was he was really struggling with this he had become like at, when that happened to him he basically didn't leave his room it was like kind of, he's kind of an overweight big native kid and he just just the way they described it he picked the dudes he picked him up by the head and was just like working his mouth <laughs> <laughs> and he kept saying she's like look at me i'm a big fat pussy <laughs> it reminds me of the genie when he's like Trying to get Aladdin to, to wish, make a wish, to yeah. Make a wish. Ah, that's such a good story. Um, and actually, what uh, Stormy was really tra- traumatized by it, and uh, it was kind of upsetting. So was uh, Roland, pretty much too, though. So, oh well, Barjona got the the kids had already been traumatized. Yeah, Barjona got what he had coming to him, right? Yeah, he got way less than what he deserved. And then looking back on it, I'm sure the kids, even if at the moment they were pretty upset by it, looking back, they're like, wow, he got what he deserved. Hell yeah. By October, Lori packed her boys and husband up and moved on to greener pastures, leaving Bard Jonah to once again go on the hunt for victims. But this would definitely lead to his downfall. It's crazy how long it took Lori to finally get her kids the fuck out of there. Oh, it was mostly because they couldn't afford to live there anymore. Ah. Um, they did move Roland up to the high school just off the reservation. So they moved him closer to where he felt most comfortable. Because I guess the, in Montana, there's kind of an issue with uh, racism against natives in public schools. So, or so they said. That's not just Montana. <laughs> yeah, but I guess in Montana in particular. In this case, I can't verify anywhere else, but yeah. Uh, extra bigoty white people in Montana. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, well, kind of. It's not a four-corner state. We can say that. Detective Barton lived by Lincoln Elementary School and had begun to notice the fat man hanging around the school in a police jacket. On December 6th, he raised some questions with his wife and decided if he saw the man again, he would call it in and have him checked out. <laughs> hey, sweetie, there's a fat man just roaming around in a police yeah, jacket. Yeah, he, he walked up to his wife and was like, have you seen the big fat guy in the police jacket wandering around? And she said she had, but he's around all the time, so she didn't think much of it. But this guy's like, he doesn't have kids here, and he doesn't live over here. Why is he here? And he's a detective? Yes. And he didn't just like... Well, he was. he's always off duty when he sees him. So he always, he has to radio, he says he radios it in for someone to send a patrol car over to check it out. Plus he's a detective that's way below his pay grade. 
I feel like as a detective, it's pretty easy to figure out if you see someone hanging out by a school, it's probably not a good thing. Yeah, I know. He got a weird feeling from it. So, um, well, that day came on December 13th, and Barton had seen the man walking towards Lincoln Elementary School and called into dispatch for a suspicious person check. You know what would have been great if he just put on an FBI jacket just to one-up him? <laughs> he just, like, goes walking over there, and he just stands there, like, with yeah. his FBI jacket on, looking at him. Like, and then they would both do? get their cops called on them. <laughs> right. The police pulled up on Bar Jonah, and they asked if he had any weapons, and he told them he did have a stun gun. When they searched Bar Jonah, they found a toy revolver, a fake special investigator badge, two cans of pepper spray, and a worn list of nonsense words. Some, this is what those nonsense words, by the way, were. Hasa, Kaforum, Mina, Likukurum, Rab, Bit, Plumus, Deporum, Allergy, Macdum. And those all mean something, I assume? They do. I know what a plumbus is, but, you know, what is everything else in that list? Yeah, it's, it, they, they found it. He carried it around with him everywhere, so... I want to know what his fake special investigator badge said. Like, like, like they pull it out and it just says, like, um, Chuck e. Silver Cheese? City. Or, yeah, Chuck E. Cheese Sheriff. And it's got... They didn't have anything that could have had Barjona arrested, so the police filled out a report, kicked it up to the detectives, and let Barjona go on his own recognizance. Is... And probably told him to stay away from the school, right? No, they didn't. Well, they were trying to figure out if carrying a stun gun was a violation of Montana's concealed carry weapon You know program. what is a violation of the law? Impersonating a police officer. He didn't actually approach anybody or do anything. That's why they couldn't actually arrest him for that yet. Yeah, because you could say you got the jacket at Goodwill. Yeah, because he didn't actually approach anybody, so in that instance he can basically dress however he wants it. As long as he's not Telling people that he's a police officer, they can't arrest him for impersonating a police officer. Yeah, because you have adult adults that, like, you know, they, they, they're, they're simpler minds, and they probably want to dress up. And they go out dressing up like a police officer. They've got badges. They've got the whole nine yards. You can't well, he wasn't discriminate dis- against them. He also them. wasn't displaying the badge either. So that's, that's one thing that they didn't think that they could arrest him at that time. That's why they kicked it over to detectives to investigate to see if they could charge him with anything in this. <laughs> they called Bart, and he's like, damn it, I'm at home. The best thing to do is just not dress like a cop ever, unless yeah. you're a cop and you're on duty. Yeah. One of the detectives on the case remembered the surprise boy and Barjona and immediately had Barjona arrested for impersonating an officer. Oh, it comes full circle real quick. What is the surprise boy? The surprise boy, the uh, kid that got smothered in the car, his last name was Surprise. This cop was on top of his game. Well, not really. He should have made detective. No, he was a detective, and he was not on top of his game. He was oh. actually really, really bad. He's the guy that uh, Sherry, uh, when she was leaving the apartment, got in the back of the car at the, out in front of the bar and told him basically everything. Oh. Told him the story of the policeman, and he was too busy investigating Zach Ramsey's mother to actually investigate this. Oh, that's right. That was him. They received a search warrant and arrested Barjona from his home. Knowing the charges wouldn't stick, they had to look for a way to keep Barjona off the street. Not really knowing what they were looking for, but seeing Barjona's albums full of children's pictures led the detectives to believe that they were dealing with something much larger. They took tons of incriminating stuff from Barjona's apartment, but not really knowing what they had, 
they left all of the rotted meat in the freezer, and it's something that they would soon regret. Because the meat wasn't deer. That's what they're thinking. Oh, shit. Bar Jonah's first call was to his mother, then to Bob to convince them to clean up his apartment and throw everything else away. Uh, when they went to the apartment, here's the fucked up thing. They actually went to, they went to Lori's apartment first, and they picked up Roland to take him over there and make them help clean. And Bob gave him a talking to about how he needed to be real quiet about anything that he would say to police against Bar Jonah. So here's where I need to draw into question on whether or not Tyra and Bob, his brother and his mother are actually good people and didn't know what Bar Jonah was doing. I think they did. So Lori and the boys were still living there at this point? No, they went over to her apartment off the reservation, picked Roland up, and took him over to Bar Jonah's old apartment. That's fucking weird. Yeah, well, Bob really needed to talk to Roland as well. So So Bar Jonah probably told Bob, Yeah, no. Bob, that's what he said in the phone call was he said, go to Lori's, pick up Roland and make him help you and convince him that he needs to just be quiet and not talk to the police. So Lori, when she left, gave Barjona their new address? Yeah, he was. they were pen pals still. Like, they didn't leave because he was molesting their children. They left because they couldn't afford to stay there anymore. Well, you think once they'd been away for a while, Roland and all of the boys would be like, Maybe we should not hang out with him anymore and tell mom maybe don't give her address out. The two younger boys really didn't understand the situation. They they just, they're all not very smart children. <laughs> Jesus I, I mean, I'm trying to make, that's me trying to say it the nice way. They were in every remedial class that was offered. They didn't really understand how to read or write at, you know, Roland was 14 at the time, didn't know how to read or write. Uh, Stormy and Stanley both couldn't barely spell their name out loud, stuff like that. So they're not really bright kids. So they didn't really, the two younger ones didn't want Bar Jonah to get in trouble because they didn't understand what was happening was wrong. Um, while they were cleaning the apartment, though, they literally took out so much evidence, just dumped it in the dumpster. They took all the meat out of the fridge. They bleached the house down. They cleaned everything with bleach and, uh, The whole apartment was cleaner than it's probably ever been, and the detectives missed out on so much more than what they got. Because they didn't preserve the crime scene. Yeah, they didn't. Well, they had a search warrant for some things, but, you know, ended up finding something else. It's too bad that they didn't find something that just flipped this. Like, it was so vile, it flipped a switch in one of the rookie cop's brains and then he just killed Barjona on the spot <laughs> well I mean the, the guys that did the actual investigation none of the cops that are doing any of the work right now actually stay on the investigation and we'll go into that here in a second but and with search warrants you have to specifically list what you're looking for so if you say I'm looking for this 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 and you go in and you see something else you have to go back to a judge, get another search warrant to go back to the house and get that fourth thing. Well, Detective Jim, uh, the guy's name is like Belushi. Like it's not Jim. Jim Belushi. It's not Jim, but the guy's uh, Detective Belushi. He remembered seeing Barjona on a list of suspects for Zach Ramsey. He was like the 40th suspect down on the list. 
he remembers the name from Sherry telling him what was up. He remembers the when he looked into him, he did see in his past the Bridgewater State Hospital stuff, and it finally clicked with him that maybe they had a murderer around. So he looked into potential probation violations or parole violations, but I think he was clear of that. So he had him arrested on this while bringing certain evidences to the judge, evidences to the judge <laughs> saying, this guy is a predator. He's outside of a school. We're afraid he's going, he's actually being a predator again. And the judge was sympathetic to that for the most part. But anyway, Bar Jonah's arrest actually became kind of local news. And they, when they discovered they were investigating him for Zach Ramsey's disappearance, the news kind of picked it up and started following his story. But from jail, Bar Jonah did everything he could to ruin the jury pool, writing letters to newspapers, radio, local residences, basically anyone he could. And his attorneys were tearing apart the case for his arrest. But the police and investigators in this instance had been more tenacious and were building the case against him for the murder of Zach Ramsey and the sexual assault of the three boys. They already knew that they had their man. They just didn't know how they were going to prove it yet. Was he like going back to his, remember his first scheme when he was a kid and he'd get the phone book out? Is that what he was doing in prison? Just like writing, like, I got a phone book, I'm sending a letter here. Basically, he he ruined the jury pool of Great Falls by being so vocal about his arrest. Did he forget that there's other cities that also have courthouses you can be tried in? He did because they just move it over to <laughs> yeah. like that like a block. Six like, miles yeah, away. like it's literally they move it over pretty far. But still, like the dude did everything he could to just basically try and uh, you know ruin the trial for these people. But anyway, this is a big dumb fat dumpy fuck, right? Yeah. So there is part of this investigation that takes place with a detective named Belushi who actually gets demoted during the investigation into Zach Ramsey's disappearance for not turning in a fellow police officer for check fraud that he was investigating and possibly tipping off that person that he was investigating him for check fraud. Damn. So he got dropped down from a gold shield detective or whatever to a beat cop that had to sounds like he like crossed that thin blue line definitely did and so they called in a fbi investigator that was working out of the great falls office in montana and apparently this guy was really fucking good because he took all the evidence that they had taken out of bar jonah's apartment they figured they had 30 days to go through it before they needed to actually put get charges against him with something other than impersonating a police officer charges and carrying a concealed weapon. The FBI investigator worked with two local cops and basically carried all of this research, digging through every piece of information that came through Bar Jonah's apartment. They had letters to other pedophiles. They had correspondences with him and his ex-wife. They had correspondences with him and his mother. They had little drawings that he had made in notebooks, and they had all these weird kind of ciphered words and sentences. They they found a whole bunch of stuff that was like lists of names and shit, but they were all put out of order. One of the lists actually comes up here in the book, and it's real hard to read what it says on there because it's mostly nonsense letters. 
it's just oh my god this is where they discover they're that he's eating them but the most one of the more disturbing things is they find a list of names it's not they can't really tell what it is because it's just letters but it says Roland Abernathy, Stormy Abernathy, Casey Sullivan, Eric Schmidt, Logan Hicks, Eric Hathaway, Nathan Jordan. Then it says Nathaniel, Benjamin, Levi, Barjona, Nathan, Nate, David, Paul, Brown, Dave, Michael, Leonard, Jeraminski, Tammy Marie, Jeraminski, Mandy Lee, Jeraminski, Louis Ann, Jeraminski, Fauché, Lee Fauché, Sean Michael Watkins, Julie Watkins, Sean Michael Rawson, Nikki Rawson, Missy Rawson, Zach Ramsey, Chris Westfall, Michael Surprise, Billy Benoit, Al Enrignius died. Died? Yeah, so that's the list. Um, they, they freak out because they figured out Zach Ramsey's name on that list. And they're like, oh shit, this has to be a list of his victims. But it's really not, though, is it? Because Roland, Stormy, and Stanley are all alive. Yeah, the, but he did touch them and hurt them. So, like, they are cross-referencing this list with missing persons. Yeah, they just didn't all die. No, they didn't all yeah, die. Even though it says died It says end. died at the end, but that just freaks them out. So they they go through and they start interviewing all the people from his past and start trying to put him in a spot where he could be responsible for Zach Ramsey's disappearance and one of the things that they find is that he has committed check fraud as well one of the things is that he sent out a check to diamond cab company taking a cab on the day of the murder and he had all he did was he fake filled out the date on it to try and trick anybody who saw it that he had changed the date that he had taken it the day before and changed it to the day that he that zach ramsey had gone missing so instead of February 6th, it said February, or instead of saying February 7th, he changed the date to February 6th. And. Because it's an easy error to accidentally make, but then if no one catches it, you could use it as an alibi. Well, the way he, they caught it was that he saved it separately from his other piles of checks. So when they were going through, they're like, huh, that's, that's really weird that this one shows up in diamond cabs records as on the 8th or on the 7th and your checks here says for the 6th and so they catch him doing that and that leads them into just a whole deep dive of how they got to place him in the area and stuff like that because they have they go all the way back over to uh where his mom tyra is currently living which is back in massachusetts and they go and look at her car. They pull it in to try and get some information out of it because it matches the same color and model that was last seen down the alleyway when Zach disappeared, so they wanted to go see if they could make any evidence out of it. Massachusetts Police Department denied them to be able to search the car for about 12 hours until they got a federal warrant to search the car. As detectives were combing through some of the documents they found at Barjona's place, they came across a ciphered text that basically they had to draw a bunch of curvatured lines over the surface in order to get a saying out of them but what they found was fairly disturbing and this is at the point where they make a shocking realization the first sentence it says penises are yummy french fried kid barbecued kid and my little kid dessert 
Lunch is served on the patio with roasted children. Little boy stew. Came across another jumbled set of letters, and he tried the same little curvature sequence thing. And this one actually came apart easier. It said, Nathan Benjamin Levi Barjona, BJ, Nathan, Nate, David Paul Brown, Casey Sullivan Vic Jules, Little Boy Stew, Roasted Turkey and Ham, Cooked on the Baby Barbecue's Be Some Young Guy, Gay Blades Are My Favorite Food, Christmas Dinner for Two, Boys School, Girls School, Children's Sports, Family and Friends, Babysitting Minors, Hitchhike Surprises, Hitchhike Surprise and Conquer the Pleasure Zone, Sex on the Beach and Everywhere. This is like his, like an idealist, like a list of ways to get kids, like babysitting, hitchhiking children, like what? I think it's maybe things that he likes or something. I don't know. Right before they're about to basically tell the world that this guy's been, they have suspicion that the guy's been eating children, they find another list called Lake Webster. And then it's on a list of names and dates of children. 1963, Mary Paquette, Laurie Epard. 1964, Rafe Frenier, 10, Bitch equals Michael Cook. 1965, John Peterson, 9, Ryan Suarez. 1966, Peter Murray, 9, Evan Hodges. 1967, Kevin LeBlanc, 8, Zach Everton. 1966, Bobby Fournier, 6, Brandon Myers. 1968, Brian Joy, 5, A-N-H slash R equals Kevin Vignocur. 1968, Wayne Bells, 5 equals Andy Frakes, 5.5. 1968, Kevin McIntyre, Kenny McIntyre, 11, Wade Bremelin. 1977, Billy Benoit, 13, John Ziak, 1969, Bobby Harris and BLDH, Ben Rosella, 1977. Alan Encoys, 14. David West, 1970. Mark Lawson, 9. BLDH-E, Daniel Martinez. Ben Lawson, 11. Plus parents. Eleanor Martinez, 1971. Kim Guyon, 11. Anne-Marie Fowler, 1971. Kevin Monin, 7. Andy Van Den Todd Moran, 9. Peter Van Den 1972, David St. Lawrence. How long is this going for? It's a long list. It's can... a list of every kid that he has ever basically come in contact with in one way or another that so made him remember the them. point, right? Yeah, I mean, the list goes on for another 15, 20 names. Wow. Yeah. And these are just, so these aren't kids or people that he necessarily killed. These are people he came in contact with, and he's a creep, so he's keeping track. So maybe he can go back and do something, right? Some of these kids were actually molested by... Bart well, yeah, Trump. I'm sure some of, some of them, but not, yeah. not all of them. Some of them are missing, right? some of them they couldn't find, some of them are fake names or names that they may be referred to as in other instances. Uh, some of them may be names of contacts because some of the names on the list were older people, so people he sent pictures to or contacted about this stuff. So they opened up this whole world of creeps yeah no body no evidence type of one of the main things though was that they they found evidence that he was definitely linked to zach ramsey 
and when the FBI investigator found his piece of wood that he had kept in his apartment that had stab wounds all through it, um, it made an understanding of what Belushi had been told by Sherry as to what happened with the kid. They even found the knife with a certain style handle that when you stabbed it in there, it kind of twisted your fingers back and hurt them real bad. And they also found the visit to the hospital that Bart Jonah did two days after Zach Ramsey disappeared, where he complained about his hand being messed up in the exact places that got messed up when he stepped through. So they didn't have as much evidence as they needed to continue on with this. So they started talking to the three boys and Lori and basically convinced Lori over time that the boys needed to testify and this needed to be the case that they brought to trial because it was so believable. It was so, it painted such a dark picture of Bar Jonah as to what he would do to children. He supposedly cared about that. They wanted to take this case in and actually use it to put him away while they researched other stuff against him. So that's what they did. They hit him uh, within the 30-day time period that they needed to actually charge this case, they went in, walked in. They got to tell it to Barjona's face without his attorney there. It said, Mr. Barjona, we are charging you with the sexual assaults of minors, uh, battery, and a few other things. And he listed out four charges that they were bringing up before the court, and that's what they charged him with. So when he went to court, Basically, he had prayed, acquired a couple of fucking sleazy-ass attorneys, prayed on it, and told everyone that would listen that he was going to win because he's beaten the courts multiple times. They Did he say he had God on his side? Yeah, he believed that he had God on his side and that God was out to protect him so he could continue on with his work. And my favorite thing, like my favorite story in this whole thing is that when... They after the trial, after the boys confessed, that was the second to the last day when they went in and uh, told testified. their stories and testified. And it's just heartbreaking reading what the snippet that they put in the book. It's it's just so sad. Everyone feels terrible for him. And the closing arguments absolutely just destroyed uh, the defense on it because they were just like, you heard what those boys said. You you understand what's happening, and we're just gonna want you to basically throw the book at him. Do what you can. We're asking for this, and left it to it. And the prosecution couldn't do anything to refute that, so they just said, "We're not calling the police into question. We're not doing this. We're not trying to blame anyone." And they lost. The, the defense. Yeah, the defense lost. Okay, using the prosecution. So I'm just making sure. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, the de- the defense rested their case, the prosecution rested their case. It was 4.30 p.m. They took all the jurors out, they deliberated at 9.30, they readjourned the court. And uh, at first the court, the person reading out how they found him, misspoke and said not guilty. So Bar Jonah was just like, God does fucking represent <laughs> me, he loves me. And then she's like, oh shit, sorry. So then she's like, oh, just kidding, I meant guilty. And Bar Jonah just fucking falls flat on his face, basically. Did they do it on purpose? I, I would hope so. They it's found so him great. guilty on three charges of sexual assault and rape. The only one they couldn't 
actually collaborate or charge him with was the fourth charge, and that was uh, Stormy, the youngest, because he couldn't tell a clear or concise story as to what had happened or how he'd been abused by Barjona. So he got locked up? Yeah, he got locked up. He got sentenced to uh, 130 years in prison. And he's still in prison now? No. Ooh, what happened to him? Don't say it like that. You sounded so sad. No, I'm very happy. Uh, he died. They they walked him to his cell, and he was com- he'd always complained of being sick and having heart pains and chest pains because he had had two heart attacks. He gets away with that shit, and they have to take him to the hospital. Nathaniel Barjona actually ends up having a pulmonary embolism, and that's in uh, 2008, so April 13th, 2008, he dies. He tries to appeal his sentence twice. First time he gets shot down and they fucking say, your sentence is correct. Uh, second time he didn't live through. He so he was in the middle of an appeal when he got the old embolism? Yeah, he had the old embolism in his what brain. What is an embolism? Uh, or in his heart or lungs, I think. Pulmonary is your lungs, yeah. 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 Um, what, what is it, like a air bubble? You get extra air in your lungs? Blood clot for the most part. Yeah, it's one of those things. I should know this. My mom's had one, but... Extra air in the lungs. I think that's what it means. Yeah, but he was gross. He had already lost, like, a leg to diabetes. He was a big, fat, chunky <laughs> piece of shit. And nobody liked him. Everybody thought, thought he was disgusting. And he was charged with, like... Well, he had the conviction that gets you murdered, so he was stuck in uh, isolation, basically. Didn't get to talk to anyone. Didn't get to write to any. Well, he got to write to people, but he didn't get to talk to anyone. Didn't get to interact with anyone. And the guards really didn't give a shit about him because he was big... Because he was a big, nasty, big, slob, nasty slob child, child molester. molester. Usually in those cases, they'll accidentally leave your cell door open. I would have loved that. Go, it was probably coming. Oh, no, he got murdered? Oh, jeez. horrible. Or maybe he got a quote-unquote pulmonary embolism. Someone's sharpened toothbrush to the neck. Which well, is a clot. I was wrong. Oh, okay, yeah. So, I well, mean, he would... Toothbrush will cause a clot, too. He basically died in the segregated housing unit because there was no way they could have put, ever put him in gen pop. No, he would have been in PC the whole, yeah. whole I wish prison she, sentence. I wish he would have had Scott Peterson's lawyer. He'd have been like, this guy's a 24-carat giant lard-ass piece of shit. Yeah. And then he'd get another trial. But it Bombs wouldn't matter because he's dead. Yeah, so fuck this guy. I'm glad he's dead. I wish he would have died a hell of a lot sooner. Well, I'm glad he, he was, got a little bit of time to, you know... Sit in jail. Yeah. Prison. Yeah, I am too. Medi- marinate? He was actually in prison for, of his 57 years, like 20-something years. So more, almost half of his life was sent, spent in prison. I don't know if I'd consider Bridgewater prison. No. I, uh, he was imprisoned there, but I wouldn't <laughs> say it was prison. No, I don't think he had a really horrible time there. I think he kind of enjoyed himself. Uh, yeah, he learned a whole bunch of neat tricks that he fucking took out into the world. They should have just burnt that place down with everybody inside of it. <laughs> <laughs> Probably true. Is so. that going to wrap it up for old uh, fat piece of shit Barjona? Yes, thank fucking God. I really don't. This experience has not been a fun or a good one for me. So yeah. next time I say we shouldn't do something, let's just not you. do yeah, it. I'll believe you. Yeah, no, I believe you because this guy's fucking nightmare fuel horrible. And, like, man, I can't. If you really want to read the books. You don't. You don't, don't. But you can. They're out there. You can 
read all of the horrible things that I left out if you really want to. The long, painstaking process of describing each blade of grass and how it blew on the day and things like that. But And also a bunch of other heinous acts that Rory didn't yeah. actually squeeze into this no, there are, part I, I think I, I missed out on a bunch of things that he did that were terrible. You um, can only talk about so much of it without literally just being nauseous. Yeah, and I don't... I don't want to remember these three episodes. I don't know about you guys, but... Let's delete them. Yeah, guys, this is we're it. Just, you get two weeks to listen to them. Our podcast is over now. Yeah, we're, we're done. We're going to just call it good on that yeah. forever. We're going to change over to a lighthearted <laughs> podcast about uh, the Care Bears. And kittens and mittens and things. Puppies. We are doing something fun next week, though. Yeah, Wrestling! So, and Katie will be back hosting, so I don't have to do this anymore. All I have to worry about is uploading the episode late we're gonna talk about we're gonna talk about stone cold steve austin next week right oh goody no. t-shirts well guys that's gonna end it uh no more creepy rory back to fun loving non-depressed sad rory and uh if you have any questions comments or concerns feel free to send us an email at four corners crimecast at gmail.com that's f-o-u-r corners crimecast at gmail.com you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash four corners crimecast on instagram at four corners crimecast on Twitter at Four Corners Cast and at Four Corners Crimecast.tumblr.com. And give us a written review on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Spotify. Check out our website, Four Corners Crimecast.com. Uh, you can head over there for a full episode list uh, or to send us any ideas for episodes you might want to hear. <coughs> Sorry. Or to get your free sticker from our merch store by typing Bingo Bango in the promo code box at checkout. And uh, we'll ship it out to you 100% for free. So I hope you guys, uh, you know, I don't want to say enjoyed this, but maybe you learned something. The next time you decide that you want to learn about a piece of shit, Rory will be there for you. No, I will not. Just keep an eye on your neighbors. If they are fat, dumpy dudes that wear police jackets and wander around elementary schools, call the police. Ask to see their uh, badge. Throw stuff at them. Pee on them. Bricks. Uh, cinder blocks. And if you rate Bullets. our podcast, just, like, exclude these last three weeks from your rating. Yeah, like, if you Don't you're, think about you it. You don't need to tell everyone in the world how sad we've made you yeah. for the last three weeks. I know. My, I want to shout out my buddy Stubbs. He sent me a very nice message this morning <laughs> about how he, he liked the creepy Rory. And I was like, well, it's really not good for your mental health to listen to these episodes or anything like that. Or for me to even read about these episodes is terrible for my mental health. And he's like, huh, who wants to have boring, normal mental health anyway? Yeah, his name is Stubbs. His name is uh, Brian Alexander. I know that's Parrish not his... Alexander I... Brian Sedera Holmesenpoth. I know that's not his real name. A.K.A. Stubbs Stubbington. He probably doesn't want all that on here. Parrish Alexander Brian Sedera Holmesenpoth. What up, Stubbs? Awesome. Have yeah. a good one, guys. Later, guys. Adios, motherfuckers! Would you rather be the cork or the corkscrew? Wait, what? <laughs>